Before the existence of written records, humans systematized combat. From prehistory and into the modern day, martial arts have been a part of the fabric of culture and civilization. Whether as a means of self-protection or to wage war, or to compete, or to preserve a tradition, or to touch personal greatness, these codified methods push us to ask questions, to explore, to express, to test, and to tell stories. This is Jamie Club's podcast, the official podcast of Club Chimera Martial Art, where we take the path of the vagabond warrior to find knowledge and inspiration from people, events, and ideas. If you are interested in where to follow Jamie Club and Club Chimera products and services, please wait until the end of the show. In the meantime, if you think this product is worth the price of a cup of coffee, please click on Support the Show in this episode's show notes. This isn't my planned podcast. However, looking at the significance of today's date, the 50th anniversary of the death of a one Lee Jun fan, I felt there was a need to say something on the show. I do have intentions to create a longer tribute or discussion on the man and the impact of his final finished movie, Enter the Dragon, released in the same year. But for now, I wish to present my review of Davis Miller's 2002 book, The Tao of Bruce Lee. Davis Miller argues that, of all the living icons that have emerged in the 20th century, Bruce Lee is perhaps the closest to be revered as a god. This is not just down to his extraordinary worldwide appeal, his legacy on film or in the martial arts, but also the mythology that has built up around him. As Miller points out, few facts have been written about the little dragon. It's quite extraordinary for a modern well-known individual to have their complete life fictionalised from start to finish by the majority of the media. In this respect, he has become close to a godlike figure. His life story is often portrayed as miraculous and his death shrouded in mystery. Davis argues that Lee's impact on the world was more immense than most people realise. He changed the way we look at action films and the way martial arts are used in them. Outside of this, his legacy is vast and its influence similar to the way a religion takes hold in the minds of the followers its founder leaves behind. There are those who say he was anything but great. The martial arts historian and writer Robert W. Smith dismisses Lee as a fake. This is not surprising. For all those who revere an icon to godly status, there will be those whose view is the polar opposite. One man's god is another's devil. As numerous documentary makers, biographers and martial arts writers have discovered, it's not difficult to find positive support for the cult of Bruce Lee. However, Miller, who singles the man out as one of his two major influences in life, is not content with hearing what those who mythologise him have to say. He doesn't go to Lee's harshest critics, but rather those who seem to be more grounded in the idea of the human Lee, people like Judo Jean LaBelle and karate champion Joe Lewis. The truth is, Bruce Lee was most certainly a driven man, with many original ideas and massive ambitions. Although revered in his home country, Lee chased the American dream. His first three movies may seem to be chauvinistic towards Chinese culture, but off-screen Lee wanted to be accepted as an American more than anything else. Evidence more than suggests he wasn't faithful to his wife or spent a great deal of time with his children in pursuit of his dreams. Miller also argues that Lee cared little for teaching martial arts but was more interested in developing himself through training with his students. He taught to earn money and his decision to teach Westerners was probably more based on business than a desire to make Asian martial arts transcend the cultural barrier. 
More fuel is added to the fire regarding Lee's prowess as a fighter as Miller draws upon contemporary accounts and uses training footage of the man to form a cold analysis. He might have given hope to the small people of this world, but Miller suggests his hero was probably more of a bully with all the psychological hang-ups associated with this behaviour than a defender of the weak. According to Miller, Lee shut down his schools and forbade anyone for teaching Jeet Kune Do, the name he gave his approach, because he felt no one but he understood what he was trying to do. One has only to read one of the last notes in Lee's posthumously published book The Tao of Jeet Kune Do to see that the great man feared his approach might become a style. He actively says that if anything like this starts to happen, then the name should be dismissed. Despite there being some wonderful Jeet Kune Do exponents out there, it's not difficult to see how many have completely missed the point of the Lee postmodern martial arts message. We now have schools divided up into those who follow Jeet Kune Do according to which area and period Lee taught, many mimicking the stance he used and exactly how he held his hands. Lee certainly put across new ideas in the martial arts world, many of which are not fully appreciated even now. He pioneered the use of a lot of training equipment. He married the concept of the athlete with the martial artist. This statement is certainly true of the Chinese martial arts, where the sight of shapeless men performing qi sao or sticky hands with cigarettes hanging out of the side of their mouth is still not an uncommon sight in Hong Kong. Lee is responsible for helping to blend Western and Eastern combative ideas and Joe Lewis, an early pioneer of American kickboxing, credits Lee for improving his performance in competition. Purists will argue, quite rightly, that the Englishman E. Barton Wright had already done this over half a century before with his short-lived Bartitsu system, but the difference between them is the same across the martial arts world. Timing and marketing. Lee popularised what others have been doing under the public eye, and then some. Lee's philosophy is also brought into question. Miller perhaps didn't realise it when he was writing his book in the 1990s, but his research and conclusions suggest that Lee was ahead of his time in blending the self-help movement with the martial arts. This has become a very prominent feature of 21st century martial arts. Many of Lee's sayings have more to do with the likes of Napoleon Hill than Taoism. Being an experienced writer as well as a martial artist, Miller clearly isn't awed by Lee's supposed profound adages and is less impressed with some of his reading material. Having said this, he acknowledges that Lee studied philosophy at university, had a huge collection of varied books and gives him the benefit of the doubt regarding the sound bites. He believes them to be as much a conscious part of his marketing gimmick as the on-screen style of fighting he developed. Despite being promoted as a companion volume to Davis Miller's first reflective and introspective study on a childhood icon, The Tower of Muhammad Ali, The Tower of Bruce Lee can easily be read as a standalone book. This is a major strength in the work. Davis Miller can bring you in at any chapter to provide a fresh insight or idea. He is a dedicated storyteller and not a dry historian or paint-by-the-numbers biographer. The reader who comes to the work in hope that they will be getting a fully researched biography of Bruce Lee might be put off by the first two parts of the book, which focus on Miller's early life growing up and the dreamlike influence Lee exerted over his development. We see the life of a typical child targeted by bullying, with troubles at home and obvious physical disadvantages that led him to being called fetus by his enemies at school. Miller was not only a target for abuse, but ripe to be seduced by the mystique of the martial arts. He is no less critical of himself as he is of Lee, although I don't see this as a negative thing. It's an honest reflection on being human, which is the central message of the book. Humans can do extraordinary things and achieve amazing feats, and some are clearly more gifted and driven than others. But here and there, reality has to be present to check the balance.
These two parts of the book provide an interesting insight into the ideas that Lee helped put over and the hope he provided for the small boys who were bullied at school. It also provides an example of the wake-up call many martial arts students experienced when they realised a lot of what they're being taught was based on tall tales and was totally ineffective as a means for real combat. It's a sobering lesson for nostalgic martial artists who tried to put over the argument that ineffective martial arts were born purely out of the mainstream that followed Lee's popularity. However, this is also the book's weakness. This isn't to say these two parts aren't of interest, but they seem somewhat disproportionate and self-indulgent when you consider the book's topic. Miller is a very good writer, one of the most entertaining and insightful I have read, but many might be put off by the way he shifts his focus. His literary style involves regularly going off into some lucid purple passages that serve to explain his state of mind at the time he is describing. Other iconic figures also crop up in the book too, and some might feel there is undue attention on them. For example, he reflects on his time spent with Sugar Ray Leonard and how his familiarity with the gifted boxer gave him an inflated sense of his own abilities. It's an interesting observation and introspection on the human condition, but it is better addressed in a chapter called Wanting to Whoop Sugar Ray in Miller's collected work, The Zen of Muhammad Ali. Despite these problems, The Tower of Bruce Lee is perhaps one of the most important reflective martial arts books written in a long time. It could be longer and have more emphasis on Bruce Lee and I would like to see some footnotes to source material but there's enough for someone interested in pursuing the facts to follow up on. This isn't a reference book or intended to be a typical scholarly study on the life of Bruce Lee, more an honest cultural and personal reflection. Miller does a great job in explaining the genuine cultural importance of Bruce Lee as opposed to the pseudo-philosophy that is attributed to him. He also does well to show the difference between Lee the movie star and Lee the martial artist and most importantly, the difference between Lee the God and Lee the Human. When Parents Aren't Around, A Young Person's Guide to Self-Protection has been completely updated and re-released as an e-book. Please note, if you already have a copy of the original, ignore Amazon's statement that you already own this book. Not only has the entire text been revised and re-edited, but also new material has been added, including a new chapter and photographs throughout depicting scenarios and training drills. My intention is to get this work out to the people who need it the most. Therefore, I've taken a third off the original ebook price. And for the first time in the history of its publication, When Parents Aren't Around is available as a paperback. These editions contain all the new material previously described. You can order copies from Amazon, or if you would like a signed copy, you can order directly from me via the usual email address. Let me know if your club would like a bulk order too. Be a part of the change in booking me to run a seminar based on the material and help launch the book. I'm also in the process of developing an extended programme that can be provided as bolt-on courses for children and this will include a certified CCMA teaching course, the very first I have offered. I read and reviewed this book well over a decade now. At the time I was teaching Motig's hard target system in London as part of a close protection bodyguarding course. Mo is one of the best martial arts and self-protection teachers that I've had the privilege of training under and it was a very proud moment for me to deliver his material. Rather appropriately, Mo was also a teacher of what he called functional Jeet Kune Do. He'd learnt Bruce Lee's method from one of the Little Dragon students, Richard Bastillo. I had the honour of training with Richard over a weekend at Andy Gibney's excellent full-time martial arts centre in 2005. The last time I saw Richard was at Disneyland Paris, where he, Mo and I were doing our best to teach students behind rows of bleachers at the ill-fated European Martial Arts Festival in 2008. 
Andy Gibney, it should be noted, has remained a friend and is another excellent martial arts teacher with a creative mind, always thirsty for knowledge and a desire to motivate others. Prior to training with Mo Teague, I'd already become very sceptical of a good portion of the Jeet Kune Do community, who appeared to be slavishly trying to copy Bruce Lee's exact style of fighting. It seemed like a total contradiction to the teachings of a man who preached a fight philosophy of individuality and personal expression. Mo was extremely different in his approach. He introduced the concept of attribute training as martial arts cross-training to me. The man had, and still has, a huge wealth of information and a keenness to progress. Although there is plenty to unpack and cast a critical eye at when it comes to Bruce Lee, the philosopher, and even the teacher, Mo seemed to best represent the Jeet Kune Do values I could support. True to his word, when he employed me through the security firm in London to teach his self-protection method, I was trusted to bring my own flavour to the lessons and the teaching criteria allowed me to teach my own material. I sought out the Tower of Bruce Lee because it appeared to be a much-needed tonic to the myth-making that had grown up around this figure. Miller interviewed people who knew and trained with Lee and this included those who were willing to be candid. Since reading the book, my friend and another progressive martial arts trailblazer, Ron Goen, urged me to read Tom Bleeker's Unsettled Matters. I devoured the e-book on a 2015 holiday to Malta almost in one sitting. Outside of Robert W. Smith's total dismissal of Bruce Lee and his martial musings, Bleeker was the most antagonistic view I'd encountered in a real book. It's worth mentioning here that my desire to seek out opposing views on Bruce Lee was not because I was against him. Indeed, anyone who's interested in looking at the conceptual evolution, cultural impact and public perception of martial arts over the past 50 years needs to study Bruce Lee and his legacy. He wasn't the first to encourage martial arts cross-training and the birth of mixed martial arts and even style versus style fighting didn't start with him. We can see examples of this sort of thing happening throughout documented history. I would even go as far to say that the Kung Fu boon was set to explode regardless of Lee's involvement. Although I have obvious sympathy for Lee's daughter, his widow and living relatives when Once Upon a Time in Hollywood gave us a derogatory portrayal of the little dragon, I couldn't help feel that this was a rare attempt at a counterbalance to the numerous ridiculous superhero depictions we have had through Bruce Bloitation films and so-called biopics. Dragon, the Bruce Lee story, is a very entertaining epic spectacle and I love the production values. But it, and all other attempts before and since, miss opportunities to tell a human story. It's my desire to see a truthful portrayal of Bruce Lee, warts and all, which pushed me to look for contradictory views. Unlike Robert Smith, Tom Bleeker at least credits Lee's physical abilities and status as a martial artist. He admits to not liking the man despite never meeting him. One might speculate a bias coming from the fact that he was briefly married to Lee's widow, Linda. Bleeker's book has a few factual errors and he offers two theories on Bruce Lee's death. The first is more plausible, whereas the second is a straight-up Butler-did-it conspiracy theory. Like Miller, Bleeker seems to need to come up with a theory and it's the same problem I often see other writers let themselves down with when they have finished writing an otherwise engaging historical book. Bleeker's work offers further insight into Lee's egotism that was touched upon in Miller's Kinder book. There's also a lot in Unsettled Matters that reveals how entwined martial artists have been with the self-help movement for better and often worse, and how much that has shaped the subculture of today. Finally, Matthew Polly, a martial artist, journalist and dedicated Bruce Lee fan, saw the huge gap in the market and wrote his Bruce Lee A Life. A review of this long overdue biography is needed. Polly seems to hit the nail on the head that I often think many miss when they try to continue a martial arts legacy. 
it is more respectful to a seeker of the truth to present them in as truthful manner as possible. All the great martial arts pioneers were sceptics, and we honour their legacy by retaining our critical thinking, applying it indiscriminately to their works as to others. Bruce Lee certainly had a lot to say about martial arts. There's a lot we might say about martial arts as they are reflected through his iconography. My other books, Wrong Fu and Mordred's Victory and Other Martial Mutterings, are also available through Amazon as both ebooks and paperbacks, and I'm also selling signed copies. These works are collections of rewritten and re edited essays I've produced over the last two decades. Wrong Fu is a prequel to my Bullshit Zoo and the Fight to Make Martial Arts Work project which deals with critical thinking in the history of martial arts. Mordred's Victory and Other Martial Mutterings covers the 10 years I ran Club Chimera Martial Arts as a school. Nowadays, I teach private lessons, courses and seminars. These are bespoke services that put you in charge of your martial arts journey. I teach self-protection and martial arts cross-training. You can train with me one-to-one or in a small group. I count individual clients, couple clients, parent and child clients and various other combinations. These can be taught face-to-face or virtually. I also regularly teach clubs, societies and associations nationally and internationally. Please go to clubchimera.com for details. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Owltail or whatever podcast platform you're currently using. If you could leave me a five-star rating and a review, I would be really grateful. You can also follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and at long last, TikTok. Facebook also has a members group in addition to the main business page, so please send in a request to join in with the training discussions and be a part of the wider CCMA community. I'm also uploading new content to YouTube. There are various short videos, vlogs and full video versions of some of these podcast episodes on there, as well as filming of my various lessons, so you get an idea of the different services that I provide. Please check out the services section on the YouTube channel, to find out more details on these individual services and suggestions for where you might want to take your training with me. Again, please subscribe, like, share and leave a comment. All favourable engagement on these platforms helps keep CCMA going. Now, I don't know where you listen to this show or watch or read any of the other free content I produce. My time to listen to podcasts usually occurs during dog walks or solo car journeys or when I'm undertaking some mundane task or other around my home. I watch videos when I'm in the kitchen. My reading time occurs when I'm in a waiting room or during a rest period at home. My guess is a good number of you will think nothing of buying a coffee or some other beverage when you're commuting or waiting or on your break. If you believe that the work I produce is worth the price of a coffee, then please click on support the show in this episode's show notes. Whether or not you choose to do this, my thanks to everyone who joins me on this Vagabond Warriors journey, and I look forward to sharing more travel notes with you all on the next show.